This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George, uh, coming to you on a Saturday evening, which is which is unusual. But I don't know whether it's uh, partly because we we've got a game on Tuesday and we want to get this podcast out as quickly as uh, as possible, or whether it's because we're not overly keen to talk about this particular game. So it's a bit like ripping off the band aid and and getting it done. As, as soon as as soon as humanly humanly possible but either way here we are we're here on a on a on a saturday evening and i'm i'm depressed to say that my my day's going from bad to worse because at this present moment in time aston villa are winning in front of me which is which is not what you need to i mean that that's uh, the definition of compounding the misery and it was a miserable afternoon it was a miserable lunchtime at the stadium of light earlier today p albion going down 2-1 but I mean, that's two two-one defeats in in two games, but it doesn't really go so far as to tell the story. I think we came away from losing two-one to Leicester with a level of positivity. I think we came away from losing to Southampton two-one with a level of positivity. I don't think there's any way that we can feel that way after this particular performance. This was not like those two games. In both of those two games, you looked at it and said. We were at least a match for our opposition. I think against Southampton, you'd definitely go as far as to say we were the better team. I think against Leicester, you'd probably say we we were a match for the opposition. And either way, we've been a little hard done to to get not get more out of the game. I th- I think it's a minor miracle we only we we only lost this game by the single goal. To be honest, Pete, we were roundly outplayed, uh, particularly in the second half where we got an absolute battering and. It could it could really have been a far more comprehensive win for Sunderland if they'd been able to take their chances. Obviously, you've got the refereeing decision uh, for a goal that should have definitely been allowed, and we should have been one nil down much much earlier than uh, than we were. And everything considered, Pete, I, I I would I don't think it's any sort of an exaggeration to say. It is. It was comfortably the worst performance of the season. It's the first time Carlos Corbran has has, has lost back-to-back games this uh, this season, back-to-back league games, I should say, this season. Um, it, it's, uh, it was the first time that I've seen us really, really outplayed in such a fashion. And I think when we, when we went through and we were talking about, uh, talking about the players off air before we, before we came on, you know, we were, we were really struggling to find any that come out of the game with, with any credit. We've got one or two that we'll chat about, but really, I mean, we're, we're looking at a game where, eight, nine starters were not at the level you would expect of them. And frankly, when you have that many players off it and you go away from home to a good team and they're a very good team in Sunderland, you're going to get beat. You just, you cannot have that many players off their game and expect to get a result, can you? No, and I think as well as having so many players just not performing and giving away sloppy passes and um, possession cheaply and, and just not being at the levels they have been at recent weeks I think Sunderland away was always going to be a difficult fixture um, even though they have just got rid of Mowbray if you look at the, the league table in terms of expected goal difference I think Sunderland are a third only behind uh, Leicester and Leeds so of the difficult run of fixtures we've recently had I think other than Leicester Sunderland was probably going to be the, the most difficult game and that's even including teams like Ipswich who sat in second when you mix playing one of the best teams in the league 
um, away from home with players, the album players not performing at the best, then um, the result was always going to be the way that it was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll come to come to that in just a second, but I do want to I do want to start earlier on in the game before before it all went to hell in a handbasket. To be honest with you, and we actually started the game fairly brightly, Pete. Uh, we 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 started the game okay, and for 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 much of the early exchanges, whilst obviously Sunderland had the disallowed goal, which you know n- nobody myself or anybody else is going to sit here and tell you that that goal, uh, that that was the right decision. It was an awful decision. Quite clearly, Kipre plays him comfortably on side. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a terrible, it's a terrible decision. Um, But generally speaking, I thought we were, I thought we were fairly well in that game. And part of that was because of the way we'd set up with Mazur up front. And I thought he was playing, playing pretty well, Pete. Obviously, 35 minutes in, Dan Ballard, Ballard comes through the back of him, with a scissor challenge and puts him out of the game, potentially out of the team for for some time to come. We rarely talk about refereeing decisions on this on this pod because I think for an, for an audio medium, it is it, it's largely boring content. It's not like we can we we can show you the incident whilst we're talking about it. But I think enough Alpine fans are going to know what I'm talking about for me to be, be able to uh, to discuss it. And I don't think it's um, and I, I, and as I say, I reserve the right to talk about referee referees for the rare occasion when I really feel like I need to talk about referees. And I feel like today we do. Because that's consecutive away games where we have had our central forward against Cardiff, it was Wallace, and against uh, Sunderland, it was Mazur, absolutely smashed by the opposition centre-half in a challenge which can at best be described as cynical, um, at worst could be described as absolutely filthy. And on both occasions, I don't think the punishment fit the crime. I think, I mean, it, the Wallace one against Cardiff, does, Wallace doesn't even get a foul. I'm not suggesting McGuinness should have been sent off for that challenge. But, I mean, it's got to be a foul. It's got to be a yellow. And the Ballard one, it's got to be a red. It's got to be a red. I, it, I, I've watched it again. I wasn't sure at the time. And by the way, before anybody, uh, I get this leveled at me, I, I don't for one second think that the the punishment should be dictated by the injury. I don't think one has anything to do with the other. So I'm not saying this because Mazur got injured. I'm saying it because when I look back at it, it's a scissor challenge. And last I checked, that was an automatic red card. That was that that was endangering an opponent. And where my frustration comes in, Pete, is this, that we have got ourselves to a situation where I think refereeing is so confused now you get so many little, minor, silly challenges. So nothing, nothing fouls given during the course of the game. You know, little little things that really could be could be let go. And then you've got incidents like this, where supposedly the bar has been raised, and that will be that will be, that will be the officials' argument for why they're not handing out red cards and stuff like that that the bar has been raised in terms of in terms of the physicality of the game from where it was you know to the start of two seasons ago and i accept that to a certain degree but the laws of the game the spirit of the laws of the game they were brought in first and foremost because obviously you know we're talking over 100 years ago now the the laws of the game were brought in because people were getting away with basically physical violence on a football pitch and they were brought in to protect the players now we're a long way from where they were where where the game we had in the 1880s and i'm not denying that for one second but what i am saying is that the the overriding principle of protecting players does not change and we've got a very different game now we've got it we've got a game which is highly paced we've got a game where uh, where footballers are highly tuned athletes and injuries can happen especially when things are happening at such pace and where players going with total and utter cynicism just to lay down a marker on an opposition player to really thump them and let them know they're there or possibly in the case of Dan Ballard today to give one to the crowd because obviously Mazur and I thought it was disgusting by the way that the Sunderland fans cheered him being injured I uh, I think they need to take a long hard look at themselves those that did that uh, and I'd have a I'd have a go at any Albion fan who did that uh, for for an opposition player I think it's appalling behavior like you no know, it's 
it's just sick. You you wouldn't in any other walk of life you wouldn't you wouldn't go up to somebody who was hurt and start cheering in their face and laughing at them. So why you do it to a, to a footballer on a pitch? They're a human being. You 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 really are sick, sick people. If that's if that's what you're doing, and you need to take a long hard look at your life. But that's a that's a completely separate point. But the point is that the the laws were brought in to protect footballers and protect them from injury. And you can't do that all the time. Sometimes things happen by accident as a natural result of the occurrences of a football game because it's a physical game, it's a contact sport, and these things happen. But that is not what has happened in the two times that we have lost a player away from home in the last couple of weeks. Both times, the Wallace Challenge and the Mazur Challenge, are both utterly cynical acts from a player who is not trying to play the ball, He's just trying to hurt the other player. And I'm sorry, but if the laws of the game are not there to protect those sort of incidents, to punish those sort of incidents and protect players in those circumstances, then what on earth are they there for, Pete? Because we've got to a point now with the laws of the game where I don't even know what their purpose is anymore. Because I don't want to see silly stoppages happening all the time in the in the middle of the pitch. I don't want to see players going down under the slightest of contact to waste time when you're one nil up with five minutes to go. I don't, you know, I don't even necessarily want to see my own players doing that, buying fouls and all those those sorts of things. Yet they're the ones that referees give, and they're the ones that referees punish with yellow cards time and again. And yet you get incidents like like this and against Cardiff where. I'm sorry, but the only the only desire of the centre half in both occurrences is to hurt the opposition player, and the law is not there to protect them. And I don't understand it. I think the referee in both occasions has a- acted appallingly and got it completely and utterly wrong. And I think they need to take a look at themselves. But I think the broader point here is we need to like take a look at the laws of the game and what they're there for anymore, because I feel like. The the game has lost sight of itself to a certain degree and lost sight of what the laws of the game are there for. And I'm sorry, if, if we've got to a point now where what we're saying is, I'm going to book you for stabbing a ball away with your toe for a yard or or for or for a little incident over on the touchline where a player throws himself to the ground when you make the slightest contact in his back. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to either hand out exactly the same punishment or less for an incident where a player goes out of his way to hurt an opposition player and to potentially injure him. That's that's not that that's not right. And I don't I, I genuinely don't understand what the laws are there for. So, I mean, to to summarize, Dan Ballard should have been sent off. I think that the incident at Cardiff was a disgrace as well. And I'm kind of. I'm losing a little bit of faith in in officiating um, because the the, the referees, the the officials today were appalling and they were appalling on both sides. I mean, look, um, Darnell Furlong should have been sent off late on for that elbow. We should have had a goal given against us uh, when Joe Bellingham scores because it's 100% uh, uh, onside. Dan Ballard should have been sent off. And you made an interesting point off, uh, uh, off air, Pete, that we were talking about, uh, you, you were saying that after that incident, we got a bit more physical, like Kipre's gone through gone through the back of one of their players. Obviously, you've got the furlong one late on. And I said to you, I said, well, is that not a consequence of the Dan Ballard one being let go? Because the referee in that moment then sets down a marker for all other players that, that that's his standard. That's acceptable. That's not a red. Hurting an opposition player is not a red. Not only should Dan Ballard have walked, Darnell Furlong should have walked. But that said, I don't think Darnell Furlong does the challenge he does if the Dan Ballard one has been not been let go. I don't think it, that um, Cedric Kipre does the challenge that he does if the Dan Ballard one has not been uh, let go. Referees have got to start setting a better marker for what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable because we have lost two really important players with what appears to be two long, fairly long-term injuries. Because refer- uh, because referees in this division apparently can't do their job. Yeah, I don't think there's any questions whether Ballard should have been sent off or not. He jumps in, scissor action from behind as well. As, as long as I've been watching football, that's always been a red card. Um, 
because you just can't tackle like that. It's dangerous, and it's always going to hurt the opposition player, especially when you've got the full weight of Ballard landing down on Madge's ankles. Um, it's no surprise that he went off injured. The referee was right in front of it. He couldn't have had a better view, and obviously saw the challenge because he handed out the yellow. You just, I just don't understand how he can't see that that should be a red card when he's right in front of it. And then it, it did seem to lead to the game getting a little bit of out, out of control, especially in that second half. Kipro did the one, I think it was on Pritchard, where he, he went and won the ball fairly. You know, he left his shoulder in right in the face of Pritchard and it was going in pretty hard, so he left one on him. Um, I think Furlong had another one on um, Jack Clark when he was going up for a header from behind Clark and he, he clearly put his forearm up just to leave something on the back of Clark. You know, stuff that's, that's nowhere near as bad as what Ballard did to Madger, but it's just that edit, extra bit of physicality that... The, the swing of the elbow from Furlong could have been bad though, couldn't it? The one oh, right that at one. the end. Yeah, that one definitely. And that one, yeah, probably should have been a red as well. But the other two were just, you know, leaving a little bit in because the referee's given the players that leniency by not setting the standard in the first half and sending Ballard, Ballard off. If you'd sent him off, then you probably don't see those kind of challenges going in because players are thinking that the refs, you know, he's clamping down on things so you don't want to risk getting any silly bookings or silly red cards. Yeah, it's just... It stems from that decision. Um, Do you agree, though, that there's a wider problem? I mean, like I say, we've lost two players in two weeks for for challenges that haven't been punished appropriately. If you're if it, if referees in this division are setting that as the standard, Pete, we're going to pick us and a lot of other clubs are going to pick up a lot more injuries between now and the end of the season. Yeah, of course. And like you said before, it's not you don't officiate on the the outcome of the challenge. The fact that we've had two players go off injured, you do it on the the fact that the challenges that made the players go go off injured were dangerous in the first place. Whether Madger comes has to go off injured wait, wait, or not. Sorry, Pete, I was just gonna say it's not it's not just the fact that they were dangerous. It's for me, it's it, it's the it's the mental state of the player that that worries me as much as anything. It's the fact that both of those challenges, quite clearly, the mind of the defender is he has no interest in anything other than hurting the player. They're not then they're, they're not trying to play the ball in either situation, are they? No, and it's the stuff you see on a grass field on a Sunday morning in Sunday league football. The players just want to do a bit of damage, maybe scare the opposition player, and and yeah, not really any intent to play the ball. It's it's there to to leave something on them, hurt them, um, or just scare them. And yeah, that shouldn't be allowed. And referees have to to clamp down on it. And if it's serious foul play like the Ballard one was, then it's got to be a red card. And especially some, it felt like he maybe didn't want to make. A big decision early in the game. Had that been after the second half, maybe it would have been different. But the fact that it was only 20 minutes in or whatever it was then, sending a player off early is a big decision for a referee and impacts the, the rest of the game. But I mean, the. Well, and it's the guy that, of course, it's the guy that, uh, as always happens in football, it's the guy that goes on to score the first goal, Pete. Yep, exactly. It just had to be, didn't it? Yeah. I, I knew as soon as the ball had got headed in, I didn't actually see. Couldn't actually tell which player it was, but I just knew it was going to be Ballard. And then when you see him celebrating, you think, yep, of course, he shouldn't even be on the pitch. But that's just the way it goes sometimes, isn't it? Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Absolutely, it is, and I mean, look, just just to be clear, and we're going to come on to this in a minute. By no means are we are we sitting here and saying that we lost the game because of the officials. I mean, look, we sh- we should have been one nil down before then anyway, if the officials had done their job properly and 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 given Joe Bellingham's goal. So we're not suggesting that um, that that we lost the game because of the officials. But what we're saying is, we you know, we need we need referees to to protect players. I mean, 
you know, that, that's two two injuries Maj has had this season for two fouls that haven't been p- punished to the to the extent they should have been. He should have had a he should have had a penalty at Bristol City, and he should have had um, there should have been a red card today. And it doesn't change the fact that the, the that the challenges still would have happened, but it might deter players from doing that sort of thing in the in the future. I don't hold as we said at the time. I don't hold that much. Um, ill will towards the referee at Bristol City because I was in the stand behind the goal and I didn't think I thought it was a perfectly good challenge at the time um but nonetheless I mean, you've got to feel for 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 Josh Madger you know because he he not only has he has he been fouled twice been put out of uh, been and it looks like it could well be a long-term injury um because it, it I mean it looked horrible the way he had to go off the pitch so not only has he been injured twice by opposition players but if the referees were doing their jobs properly, he would have won us a penalty in the last minute of a game against Bristol City, which was nil-nil at the time, and we probably would have uh, therefore gone on to pick pick up three points. And he would have he, he would have at least got a sending off for for Dan Ballard against Sunderland inside thirty-five minutes, which at uh, nil-nil, which you imagine means that the remaining fifty-five minutes goes to, goes on to play out rather differently than it did. Yeah, and it's just yeah, two decisions there that well, two challenges on Madger that are just it's just really frustrating because both times when we've seen him, well, not both times, but every time we've seen seen him in an Albion shirt, he's looked promising. And until he went off injured against Sunderland, he was looking really good. He was really sharp. First touch was was immaculate, and he was bringing players into play and allowing us to move up the pitch. Um, and then he gets this horrible challenge on him and has to go off. And the way he went off and the way he was reacting, it looked like it could be. A fairly serious one again, and it's just really frustrating that he comes in and, and looks promising. And, and the reason that he isn't going to be might not be able to play in the next couple of weeks is because of a terrible challenge that's been put on him. And then just to... and that's an important point to emphasize, Pete, because I saw I saw somebody on one of the fan groups refer to him as injury prone. It's like though those two challenges would have injured any player. He's not injury prone. He's just been smashed twice. Yeah, I think injury prone. You got to use for a player that's constantly pulling muscles or tearing muscles or something and well I mean don't really want, want to say it but more like Matt Phillips who seems to get in gets a muscle injury every winter Madger has just come under two terrible challenges and yeah put any player there and they're, they're most likely going to get injured that's not injury prone you know if I hit somebody with a hammer and they break their leg that's not because they're injury prone it's because they've been hit with a hammer it's completely different to just pulling a muscle every time you play absolutely it just uh, FYI, I'd I'd like to point out I've known I've known Pete quite a long time now, and he's been he's never been known to uh, to use a hammer other than for uh, DIY purposes. So just to uh, d- just be- just before you get to um, uh, get the police lock- knocking on your Lincoln abode, mate, you know don't 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 want that to happen to you. But uh, just uh, just to move on slightly, and obviously after the major injury that in- uh, caused an enforced change of personnel. I thought up to the point where Maja got injured, I thought we were very in the game. Obviously, we should be a goal down because the Joe Bellingham goal should stand. But nonetheless, I thought in terms of the exchanges, I uh, you, you look at the numbers, it's it's fairly even, it's fairly tit for tat. And then from that, that point on, he makes the change. And I think we were all a little bit surprised to see Tom Fellows picking himself off the bench and, and coming on. And this isn't a criticism of Tom Fellows because... You know, I thought he was he was game, and I thought he had a he had a he had a go, but he didn't really he didn't really impact the game in the way that he would have wanted. And I thought from the moment Maja left the field, Pete, I thought we were we were a bit of a shadow of ourselves, to be honest. Um, I didn't think any of the forward players had a game to remember. You, uh, Swift, Grady, Grady, I thought had an awful game, absolutely terrible. Um, Swift was about as anonymous as I've probably seen him since Steve Bruce was our manager. Um, Fellows uh, had one great chance where I thought he was going to get away from the Sunderland defence and his touch was just a bit too heavy. Um, Grady, similarly, I thought there was one where I thought he could have got in behind and he's obviously headed it on. And then I just didn't think he was strong enough. Um, Sarmiento got into some good positions but made some really poor decisions and for me it's emphasised by the numbers you, it, Sarmiento gave the ball away five times Grady four Fellows three and that was a, that's a lot I mean you compare that to, to what Sunderland did Jack Clark gave it away five times but nobody nobody on the Sunderland side other than that gave it away more than uh, more than three 
Um, they, they did just didn't give the ball away as much as us. You look at the pass completions for those, for those players. Grady, 64%. Sarmiento, 69.9%. Um, uh, uh, Tom, uh, Tom Fellows, 50%. You know, I mean, we we just weren't... The ball wasn't sticking in the final third. Nothing we were doing was really getting any uh, getting any traction. And it's very rare that we have any reason to criticise Carlos Corbran and you know we're certainly not gonna not gonna dwell too much on this point because the guy has got enough credit in the bank for us to not to do so but until Brandon came on I didn't think we really looked a threat and I have to say other than a couple of balls in behind where we've like kind of cleared um Sunderland set pieces which it's it's a transition but it's not it's not really creating anything is it I, I, I thought we were toothless and I have to say I feel like Carlos Corbran got the change in the 35th minute completely and utterly wrong. Yeah, I thought Fellows was had a similar performance to Grady and Sarmiento, where they've had these moments where they looked really good. And um, Fellows, for example, I think he spun his man, dribbled the ball into the box and then looked for the cutback, but just couldn't find, I think it was Sarmiento in the box. And I think um, Grady and Sarmiento both had kind of similar patches where they did something really good but then the rest of the game they were they were quite poor um like I say swift was anonymous um i thought sarmiento was the best of of the bunch there um could he try and as... stay on his feet in the last minute yeah I, I don't think it was easy to stay on his feet to be honest i don't think it was a foul either but i think it was yeah, he kind of tried to turn and um i think it was luke 09 it was just kind of got his body into him so I think even if he tries to stay on his feet, he would have just been, you know, barged out of the way. Not a penalty, but yeah, not not much he can do to stay on his feet, I don't think. But I thought Sarmiento was the best of the bunch. But as soon as Madger went off, we just struggled to move the ball up the pitch securely. Um, when Madger, the ball was sticking to Madger and he was playing little flicks and touches into the players around him when the ball got, got pinged into him. Um, after that, we mainly looked, just looking for balls in behind without really having many runners in behind. Um, they were not... so aimless, weren't they? Carl Bartley played five long passes, completed zero during the course of that 90 minutes. And there's a few times that I can recall, Pete, where the ball was just punted over the top and I'm thinking, oh, there must be a runner here. No, 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 we've just bumped it into space. Yeah, it was just very often just kind of punted down that right channel. And that's why I thought maybe Fellows was going was coming on because he's got pace and energy and he likes to, to operate down that right channel. I think I've seen afterwards that the reason that Fellows came on rather than Brandon was that Brandon was also nursing an injury. So I guess Carlos didn't want to didn't want to aggravate that and have another striker out injured. I think we've got enough at the minute. But it was just, yeah, we, we liked an actual number nine. And I don't think Grady enjoyed having to play central for that the rest of that first half. It didn't really suit him too much. When he was drifting inside from the wing and allowing to move inside when he wanted to, I think it was working. But when, when he had to operate as part of the front two and... Like when we've not got the ball and we're pressing, we're generally in a four-four-two. And after Madger went off, Grady had to to move up into that into one of the two there. I don't think it suited him. And yeah, we're just running out of strikers, unfortunately. Um, luckily, Thomas Santi saw the game out because otherwise we'd have real problems there. And God, uh, I mean, let's because uh, this has been a pretty miserable start to the pod, Pete. Let's let, let's just focus on the on on the very minor positive that we can take away from take away from that game, and that is that um, that Brandon obviously has has got a got a goal and a very good goal, very well finished as uh, as well, and you know that will do him the world of good because after um, after the game, particularly against. Cardiff where he's missed a couple of absolute sitters you know I think he I think he needed that um he obviously didn't have a great day against Leicester either and I think it was important for him to come on perform reasonably well get a lovely get a lovely header and I thought Pippa looked lively as well when he uh, when he came on it's a really really good ball for the uh, for the goal as well so uh, there's not there's not many redeeming qualities in in that performance I don't think I don't think Kipre had a terrible game. I thought, other than losing his cool towards the end, I thought um, I thought Furlong did it did all right. You look at the the, the comparative numbers between um, Jack Clark's output and um, Patrick Roberts's output, and I thought Connor Townsend had an absolute horror show with uh, with with Patrick Roberts over on the, their right, our left. I actually thought um, thought Furlong coped relatively well with Clark. Clark gave the ball away equally as much as anybody anybody else. Um, the same amount as Sarmiento did for uh, for us, and I thought that was uh, that that was evident by how 
how decent Furlong was. I'm not going to go as far as good because that's probably pushing it for just about any of our performance. But Furlong, I thought, was decent. He won more tackles than anybody else on on the pitch. I thought Kipre did all right. I thought Bartley's defending was okay, but his passing was appalling. Uh, but, I mean, to be honest, once you get beyond Kipre and Furlong out of the starters, I think they're the only ones I could really say had anything close to a good game. Palmer's made one great save, but then equally... He's also for the for the disallowed goal. You know uh, that that shot shouldn't get through him. Uh, it, it shouldn't even be an opportunity for for Bellingham to tap it home. Um, so he's had a mixed uh, afternoon. I, I, I just I just thought that once you get beyond Furlong and Kipre, I, I think you're really looking at Pippa and Brandon Thomas Asante for people that can come out of the game with with positives and credit. I I, I think you re- really once you get beyond those four players i think you you're looking at everybody else and going you are miles off the levels that we expect of you yeah i think it was always going to be a, a tough day for Townsend and furlong coming up against roberts and jack clark you know they're two of the the best wingers in the championship the other issue was that sunderland were getting men forward to to go past them just, um, just on that pete roberts was class wasn't he i mean you, we, we we don't spend a lot of time talking about opposition players but other than the dive for the penalty which is which which is a pretty shameful dive he he i mean for me he was comfortably the best player on the park yeah definitely he was brilliant and it was just the fact that he kept coming inside committing townsend townsend would overcommit and sarmiento who's kind of filling the the seam between townsend and kipro then takes on roberts but because townsend's overcommitted roberts can just play that reverse pass through to the the fullback or whoever's overlapping down the right and then they're in and it just happened so many times that um we should have dealt with it better but yeah, Roberts was very good, and like you say, there wasn't many Albion players you can say that that not many Albion players that you can say were very good. Um, Kipro, I thought was was good, and I thought, yeah, Bartley was decent. Passing wasn't great, but I don't know if that's just because a lot of the issues with his passing were the long balls and. They seem instructed, but we yeah, just didn't but, have runners. But why? But I mean, come on, Pete. You, it, I, I, I completely get what you're saying, but at the same time, I mean, there's got to be a level of decision making from players on the pitch. If you can see that there's absolutely nobody in that in that sort of acre of space that you're lumping the ball into, you don't blooming lump it in there, do you? Well, I wouldn't have thought so, but maybe they've been instructed to try and turn the Sunderland defenders around. And yeah, you, you do have to take into consideration everything that else that's going on the going on on the pitch as well as what you've been told. So yeah, his passing gave the ball away with his passing a bit, but defending was decent. Um, and I thought Mo had an all right game. Again, can't say he was special, but I think he he probably missed Yakuzli alongside him, um, but put in a, a pretty good shift. Malone anyway. had a bit of a nightmare, didn't he, Pete? I mean, he, it, I just he he, he the, a mate of mine. Um, it used it used to have have an expression for for players who canter around a little bit out of control, which is um, a speedboat without a driver. And I kind of that's that's kind of how I felt about Malumbi. Although although I had to have a wry chuckle that um, when he when he dragged that player player down, uh, and I immediately turned to my other half and said, "Oh, that's what he should have done last week." And then straight away, that's what the commentator commentator said as well. Um, but yeah, I just I didn't I I, I did not think he. He had a good day at all. No, and on the dragging down, I think Corbrand's definitely had a word with the players about that from last week because there were so many times that we tried to stop transitions from just ripping players down and holding shirts. There's a couple that the Sundon players somehow managed to ride them and still get away with the, the transitions, but a lot of them, you, I, I think we picked up a couple of yellow cards from it. I suppose it's promising that we've we've looked to learn our lesson, but yeah, we yeah, I suppose that's what, that's one promising thing about the performance. Um, not that there was many others. Pete, I think we should probably move on to talk about the two goals. And obviously, for me, for me, two different types of goals in terms of culpability. The first one, let's start at the top. Let's start with the first one. The first thing that you've got to say, and because it, it's very easy when whenever you concede a goal to sit and try to pick it apart from... Because you can, as a defending team, when you concede a goal, you can always always find something that your team could have done better that that's i i I can't i can't remember the last time we conceded a goal where there wasn't something you felt we could have done better it doesn't i mean i'm sure i'm sure there's everton fans who uh, who think that um that there's more things they should have done stop alejandro garnacho's um overhead kick the other week it doesn't matter how good the goal is uh, the fans will always want to see things done better from their team when you concede a goal 
I do think it's worth saying that the two goals, whilst there are things in there for me, are one is a very good goal and the other is extremely unfortunate from our point of view. And I thought, on the whole, we mostly defended well. If we're looking for minor positives in the game... We 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 generally we generally defended well. I mean, over over the over the course of the entire. I mean, we created absolutely naff all really in the, in in the in the game. But I mean, we created 0.69 xg. They they created one point two nine of it. But the vast majority of that is their second goal. So really, they didn't. We defended actually pretty well over the course of the of the whole game and didn't give them many big chances. And and, and when we when they, we did, we got obviously got a massive amount of luck with the disallowed goal. But also, you know, Alex Palmer's made a great save from the one after it's come back off the post. But the first goal, I think you've got to say first and foremost, it's a fantastic header. I mean, it has 0.02 xg. So that you know that that is that's a chance that's just not very likely to score at all. I think it. I think I'm right in saying, Pete. That's that's a one in fifty chance, isn't it? Zero point zero two xg. So you you know that's not a chance that you are likely to score much of the time. It's an unbelievable header, and as I say, fate would have it. It's off from the bloke who, who probably shouldn't be on the pitch. Uh, somebody messaged me, sort of saying, "Oh, keeper, should he be getting beat at his near post?" I'm not sure. I have I have that as Palmer is the problem there. He he can't be tied to his near post when when a ball's coming into the box because you kind of expect it to to go deeper than that anyway. And he's got to, you know, if he's right on his near post and it goes far post, he's he's screwed, isn't he? So. I think for me, if there was any criticism to be had, and I, I do think there's a little bit of criticism to be had, it's probably for Chalaba, who he gets across the front of Chalaba. Chalaba starts just as the ball's about to go in, in the right position, in front of Ballard, goal side or ball side of uh, of Ballard. Technically, actually, not goal uh, goal side, uh, but he's 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 in front of Ballard and he lets Ballard brush in front of him, and which is how he manages to win uh, win the header. And I suppose the only other question that I would have, and I I imagine the answer is because it's because uh, we're marking more zonally than man for man, is why is Chalaber on Ballard in the first place when he he's got that's his fifth goal of this season he's he's clearly a massive threat from these kind of situations. Surely you want Kipre or I think it was Ajayi on uh, on no it would, it would have been Bartley on the pitch at that point. Which surely you want Kipre or Bartley up against him I understand zonal marking but when they've got one massive threat like that Carl Bartley's unbelievable in the air why is Carl Bartley not not in front of him I don't I don't feel like uh, Chalaber should be the one marking him at all Pete that you know so I think Chalaber's a little bit culpable but I I, I I question our setup which I presume it's because we're marking zonally not man for man but I, I, I personally I've never been a big fan of, of zonal marking I think you put your best header of the ball on their best header of the ball, and you try to almost take the two of those players out of the game and uh, and and let everybody else fight it out. Yeah, I think I think the defence for the the setup is that you want, as you said, he's Ballard scored from a really tough area. It was a really good he- header, and based on the the expected goal value of it, it got a one in fifty chance of scoring. So, I think the argument is that you can have you'd rather have your best aerial defender in the most dangerous dangerous position. So you know between the posts around the six yard box centrally um, rather than having him at a really tight angle where you probably don't expect the well the cross to go and for the opposition player to be able to score from I think Chalaba should have done better and shouldn't have let him get in front of him and, and get that header from there um, it was a really tight angle it was a really good header um, unfortunately you've got to give credit to Ballard for that and I think with Palmer he's probably as well as it being a really good header the, the difficulty of it is that a lot of the time from that position the near post the the player will try and flick it on into the into an area between the posts where it's a, a bit more dangerous rather than going straight for goal. So uh, I'm no goalkeeper expert, but I imagine Palmer can't really set to just try and save that shot and be ready to save that shot because he's worried about you know being too static for if it gets flicked onto into the a more dangerous area and then Sunderland attack it from there. But in the end, it was it was a great header. I think Chalaba, as I said, should have done a little bit better. Um, I don't really put too much blame on Palmer and. I suppose I kind of understand the setup because it was it was such a it was a header from such a an unlikely area to score from if you like 
Um, I think this is the difference between uh, a bloke who grew up watching football in the in the in the noughties and a bloke who grew up watching football in the nineties. Pete, because when when I was a kid, you put your biggest bloke on their biggest bloke and took it from there. Yeah, but then I I I, I mean, if you look at it really real extremes, that would never happen. If if they had the best header of the ball just on the halfway line, not even on the box, you wouldn't put your best header out there. Um, as well as defending the best headers of the ball, I think you've got to. D- defend the most dangerous areas as well yeah and it's all well and good with hindsight i'm just i'm just saying when you've got when you've got a center half that has that uh, that has scored that many goals it's not even like the central midfielder that's on him is okay costly which i wouldn't have a problem with it it, it chalaber has not got a particularly good aerial record we all we all know that and and you've got two really good headers of the of the ball in the in the box. I just I just think when you've got a centre half, who uh, I think I think I'm right to, in saying Ballard's their top scorer, isn't he? Or no, he's Clark is, but I think he's their second top scorer. If you've got a centre half who scored that many goals, I, I just as I say, it's all well and good in hindsight, but I just I just feel like you need one of your best headers of the ball on him. And I also would suggest that not only is Chalaber not one of our best headers of the ball, Pete, but his aerial record is actually pretty weak. Yeah, and I understand that point of view and I don't disagree with it too much but yeah like I said I think you've also got to defend dangerous areas if the ball had been been whipped into you know the six yard box and in between the posts and Bartley hadn't have been there to clear it and they head home from there then you're probably saying what why on earth is Bartley on the front post when the real danger area is in there and I think I mean Chalice he might not be the best in the air but he's, he's physical enough and he's strong enough and he's a big enough guy that from that kind of angle you you almost just need to stay tight to the to the player and not give him the space to head it and just be right behind him in case he does try and do that, which you'd think Chalaba would be able to do. Whereas in the centre of the box, if it gets looped up after being flicked on, you want somebody who's going to be able to climb up and, and win it and is actually really good in the air, which is what Bartley is. Um, so I think rather than the actual setup being wrong, I think it's just, just Chalaba didn't didn't stick tight enough with his man. The second goal, Pete... I've seen people on social media, and I knew this. I knew as soon as it happened that there was an inevitability to this. That people are comparing it to last week's goal against Leicester. It's completely different, isn't it? I mean, last week's goal against Leicester came because we weren't set up well enough to defend the break from that from that throwing. It's that it's that simple. And I mean, Corbrand's admitted that as much. He obviously said what he said in the post-match press conference that, you know, don't have a problem with us going to win the game, but we need to tactically look at the way we defended um, that and see what we can do better. It, it's been emphasised by the fact that he's had the players watching the video of the, uh, of the, 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 the second, uh, the second Leicester goal this week and, uh, and sort of almost having a bit of a meeting of minds. What should we have done better here? I I just think it's unlucky. Like um, Townsend's gone to control the ball, and his feet have gone from under him. He hasn't made a mistake. And any, by the way, anybody who's criticising Connor Townsend just doesn't know anything about football. I'm sorry. Like, um, you, you know, you, did did Steven Gerrard make a mistake against Chelsea? No, he just slipped. It happens sometimes. You know, we. we uh, Every single one of us at some point has lost our footing. Doesn't mean you uh, you you've uh, you've made a mistake. It just means you know you you you're not spider-man basically that's what it that's what it effectively means and uh, you you lose your footing sometimes he's lost his footing the only area where i have a little bit of criticism Pete, is that i think then on the recovery run furlong and pippa get a bit confused between them and they basically both make the same covering run which is to get in front of pritchard and neither of them cover neil as he's uh, as he, uh, as he's going through, and Furlong Furlong is the one that I think should go because whilst Pippa is nearer to Neil, the fact is that he has already stood Pritchard up and has made sure that Pritchard couldn't do what Dewsbury Hall did last week of run through on his own and ensured that he needed to make a pass. I, I it's it's a very momentary thing. It's it, it, it's a split second decision that Furlong has to make, but for me, he makes the wrong choice. That he goes to help Pippa cover Pritchard, where whereas he should go with the runner. If he had, would it have made any difference? I'm not sure. Furlong is potentially quick enough to have got there, so maybe. L- let me put it this way: I can't say whether or not he would have. It would have made a difference whether he would have got there. What I can say is he'd have had a better chance of stopping the goal than than the absolutely zero chance we had of stopping the goal once um uh, once Pritchard once they doubled up on Pritchard and Pritchard had slipped the ball through. 
yeah, I agree that, you know, it's not a mistake from Townsend. He just, like you said, slipped and it's really unfortunate. I don't think there's any way you can blame him for that that goal. Um, if you really want to blame somebody, then you've got to look at Pippa and Furlong afterwards and there's got to be a bit more communication, organisation, whatever it is, so that they're not both going towards the, the same man because they made it quite easy for, for Dan Neal to, to make the run and get the ball and then go and score. But I really don't understand Townsend getting criticism for that. I don't think he had a particularly good game, and we've said that. Um, so if you really want to criticise him, that's that's what it can be for. But... Yeah, and I'd, l- I'd like to emphasise that point, because I get accused of being the kind of Townsend fan club. I thought he had a, he had a poor game, all things uh, all things told, but there's no way that goal's his fault. Yeah, exactly that. There's Yeah, that goal at the end has no impact on his performance, because all he did was slip. That could be... That could be anyone. That could be the best left back in the world, and it can still happen. So yeah, the the criticism for that just seems unjust. But on the whole, he probably didn't have a, a good game. Probably have quite a poor game to be honest. But um, yeah, so did a lot of our players. So I don't think there's too much to read into that. Lastly, Pete. Obviously, I saw John Swift uh, do his pre-match interview on the on the TV before the game, and he sort of said that, that almost this game didn't come quickly enough after the Leicester game for them. They they wanted another game to get it out of the, get the defeat out of the system as as fast as they could. Well, they don't have that problem this week. We do have another game coming fairly fairly quickly. Rotherham away on on Tuesday night. Going into that game, how how do you feel? Do you do you look at this as a performance that probably will be a one-off, a bad day at the office, as the expression goes, and something that we can hopefully shake off and, you know, return to the performance levels that we've been used to seeing from Albion up to now. Or are you a little bit more concerned at the bigger picture? Because obviously, look, it's got to be said, I've got to acknowledge the elephant in the room. We saw an enormous drop-off in our performance levels when Matt Phillips got injured last season. And obviously, Matt Phillips has got injured, and suddenly we've turned in the first really bad performance that, that, that I would say that we've turned in since the opening weeks of the season. And do you con- are you concerned that there is... That, that there is going to be a huge impact from the injury to Phillips, obviously the, the injury to Wallace. I think people are underestimating how big that is. I think his composure, his leadership would have been massive in, in that game. And then obviously on top of that, as you quite rightly say, we, you know, we're back to completely relying on Brandon Thomas Asante as a centre forward. We haven't even got the option at the moment, unless he's back fit of putting Wallace into the centre forward position, which is something we've, we've utilised in, in away games a number of times this season. I mean, no, no DK, no Major, no, uh, no Wallace. It's all Brandon Thomas Asante. So do you think this will just be one of those performances where we're like, right, we, we, we were garbage, but let's just shrug it off and, you know, we can return to those levels or is there a bigger problem here, much as there was last season, that losing a significant player or a couple of significant players has a massive impact on on the on the team? It was a terrible performance, but like we said at the start, we're playing one of the best teams in the league when you look at the underlying numbers. So you've got to balance out with that and hopefully going to Rotherham kind of at the opposite end of the table when you look at the underlying numbers, we can go back to get back to winning ways. Um so I'm not too too concerned about the bigger picture of the performance because we have played so well in recent weeks. You know, I think you can have an off game every now and then. The worry comes when you look at the the list of injured players um, because, like you say, we're relying on Brandon Thomas Santi as our only real fit senior striker, assuming Madge's injury is as bad as it looks and missing Matt Phillips as well, who's a massive loss. And I've said it before that I think he's probably been our most important player this season. And I think with the ball... Samiento, Diangana, they can they can make up for that. But I think defensively and when we're pressing, I don't think Samiento is anywhere near as good as, as what Phillips has been. I got know, I got laughed at a bit this week, Pete, by a number of people on, on uh, X for suggesting that um getting Adam Reach back fit as soon as possible could be big for us. Do you think uh, do you think that's as ludicrous a comment as someone uh, as someone on the social media channel thought it was, or do you think there's something in that? Well I think I think it's got to be big for us any, anyway because we're getting so many players injured. Having another 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 body there is going to be crucial for well for a start for just taking minutes off players because you know the more minutes players build up, the more likely they are to get injured. So you want to spread that around as much as possible. But Reach is a very experienced player. Um, he's never going to be a real thrilling player unless he scores a thirty-yard screamer, which he does on occasion. So I think 
yeah, similarly to similarly to Phillips, he's got that experience and the work rate that when we don't have the ball, he's going to be um, a real asset for pressing, um, understanding when to go and have the willingness and energy to to keep putting in that effort for the full ninety minutes. Um, so I think that in that aspect, he'll be a very useful player to have. He's probably not as talented on the ball as players like Sarmiento and Diangana are. He's not as likely to beat his man and, and create a chance from there, but he's a good crosser of the ball um, and he gives us options because at the minute, if we want to play a, a back five, you're struggling to find somebody to play in that wing-back spot. Obviously, Phillips was filling it before. Corbran seems to only really want to play Townsend as a full-back rather than a wing-back and I think Reach has the Reach has got the adaptability to play as a, a left wing-back, so then it gives us the option to move to that back five if Corbran wants to. So I think he will be when he does come back fit, I think he'll be a useful option to have. I don't think he's ever going to be considered a key player like maybe like Matt Phillips has been, but I think he's a very good option to have. Well, we shall see what Corbrand does on Tuesday night. Of course, his options becoming more and more limited, and this is where we we need the genius of our manager to come to the fore because uh, many many managers in this situation would feel like the world is against them. We know Carlos Corbrand won't spend any time feeling sorry for himself, and he's found solutions before. Let's hope he can find another one in uh, Yorkshire and get us back to winning ways. And then obviously Stoke to come in the early kickoff on the Sunday after that. We will be back to, uh, as we always do when there's a midweek game, to look back on the two games from this week. So we will we'll be back after the Stoke game and we'll, uh, we'll discuss the two games collectively. Let's hope there's six points to discuss after back-to-back defeats. How lovely back-to-back wins would be. We'll keep our fingers crossed for exactly that. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.